That was uh, Shenzhen Young, a uh, Buddhist. I, I have to say, Phil, uh, we've had some pretty amazing people on the show, not to pat ourselves on the back, but here was a guy, he's like 14 years old, and he decides he wants to learn Japanese, goes to Japanese school, <laughs> go, go, goes to college, learns Chinese, learns Sanskrit, uh, then goes to graduate school. We didn't even get into this with him today. And uh, yeah. he meets somebody who's uh, a Buddhist monk, and then he goes spends three years in a monastery. Then he meets a Catholic priest who's into mindfulness. I mean, what a life. What an experience. I and like know. you said, he was growing up in the 50s. There was no talk of any of this at that time. And, and I, I should say for our listeners, uh, uh, Phil, you chronicle this movement of uh, knowledge from uh, east to west in your book. Uh, American Veda, but here's a guy who really lived at the time when huge transition was just beginning, and uh, he was at the forefront, and, you know, just an amazing life. Yeah, um, and to be honest, you know, what I chronicle in American Veda is sort of the yogic, Mm -hmm. uh, you could say Hindu equivalent. Um, I didn't cover Buddhism in the same way, because that had been done before by uh, uh, excellent uh, historians and writers who co- you know covered the Buddhist piece of the story, but I do cover it to some degree. So he is kind of the uh, Buddhist and uh, uh, Japanese and Burmese equivalent of what many of us experienced when we were drawn to the... Uh, the uh, Vedantic and yogic uh, teachings that uh, stayed in India. Um, but together, you know, it, it's, it's quite the phenomenon. But you're right. I mean, most of the people we know got into uh, Eastern practices and Eastern philosophy in the 60s. Right. When, when you know, what we think of as the counterculture exploded, but he was way ahead of that yeah, game. That, and, very, I mean, very, I'm the same. Yeah. I'm, the, uh, you know, his contemporary. And you know, when he was getting into Japanese, you know, all I could think about was baseball and girls. Right, and I, right. You know, I didn't know anything until uh, you know ten years or maybe eight years later. So yeah, it all started with him w- watching a low-budget samurai film, and it, and it went yeah. from there. Uh, one thing I, I did mention to him during the interview is, uh, for some of our listeners, it's almost overwhelming. He covered so much material in regard yeah. to the different traditions and all. But I liked how he summed it up, and he said, look, if somebody comes to me and they want to learn meditation, you know, I can teach them the different skills, the concentration, contemplative yeah. part of it, transcendental part of it. Uh, and, and, you know, if they want to be a better tennis player, uh, I, I'll give them the skills to do that. But then... I, and I think he put it in terms of happiness. I'll show them greater yeah. degrees and greater depths of happiness and the five aspects of happiness. So I'm sure he's a, he's a wonderful teacher and probably in that Zen tradition, very uh, patient about how he introduces uh, knowledge to the student. Yeah, and he sounds very practical. You know, this link between you know, these ancient teachings and uh, modern uh, sort of pragmatic approach of science and doing what works and what's uh, evidence-based, you know, makes a tremendous amount of sense. And you see it both in the the world of that 
you know, has come from Buddhist practices, mindful, what people think of as mindfulness. And you also saw it, you know, with uh, yogic forms of meditation and now uh, various uh, techniques of hatha yoga. You know, the more science uh, examines these things, the more um, mainstream they can become, the more applicable they can become to different um teachers um, i mean different segments of the population but what he what he's doing and his you know answer to the question of is anything lost when you mainstream or secularize these things is very parallel to the conversations going on in the yoga world and right. the world of meditation where you know the critical thing um, you know most people who care about this um agree with is um, you, you, he used the word upaya, which is, means, you know, skillful, skillful methods or skillful means. And, uh, you know, being skillful as in teaching these uh, practices to the public would suggest teaching, uh, speaking to people at the level of their interest and what they can hear. And then at the same time, giving them a vision that there's more to it. Right. There's more available should they want it or when they're ready for it, and 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 I agree with him that that's that's the the best thing to do rather than wring our hands and complain about this. No, I, I thought he brought that out very well. And you know, it's not just in the the world of spirituality uh, and spiritual traditions that this happens. You know, take for instance jazz. You know, at one point yeah. people said, "Oh yeah, this is a small core of people who really understand and dig this music." And now these guys are going out and they're making it like pop music and they're, you know, not secularizing it, but, you know, popularizing it and uh, the same sort of complaints and concerns. And, you know, you can have both. You can have people that practice yoga to look good on the beach and whatever, whatever, and other people that practice it to become, uh, you know, to, 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 to know God, uh, to become yeah. enlightened and all that. But That's I think right. eventually, if you're doing a practice correctly, you'll go into it more and more deeply. And we're seeing that. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Phil, was, uh, and uh, I'd be curious, maybe we could have somebody come on and speak more about this. You mentioned about the, the research that's being done. And I know a lot more research is being done on mindfulness practices now. And I think it was Paul Mills was on our show, who's, the, uh, who's a professor at University of California at San Diego and also the head of research at the Chopra Institute. Uh, and uh, he was mentioning that uh, mindfulness meditation, there's an enormous body of research that uh, has been done and yeah. is going on now. Yeah, there's a lot uh, in recent years, and uh, a lot of that has to do with um, John Kabat-Zinn, who uh, adapted essentially Vipassana meditation and mm -hmm. uh, probably the most important person in uh, coining the term mindfulness and popularizing it, and um, and also the uh, conferences the Dalai Lama has had with scientists, and his you know his great uh, popularity and his name. Um, so this is to me you know this is re, uh, re recapitulating what happened in the early seventies when uh Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was as famous as the Dalai Lama is now and he was encouraging right. research into his uh, uh, TM practice and and uh meeting with scientists and all that. So so both 
what we think of as Hindu-based forms or yoga-based forms and Buddhist-based forms. You know, there's a, an en- enormous body of research right. now on, on both of these trends, right. and people are now, you know, distinguishing among different forms of meditation, different forms of mindfulness, and, you know, it's, eventually we'll have a really solid uh, grounding in, in uh, evidence. Right, right, and, and Phil, I... I... Correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't you a a subject on one of the first? Uh, I was. <laughs> I mean, a major study, a breakthrough study, uh, maybe yes. what put meditation on the the map in the Western world in terms of yes. Scientific American, I think, right? Harvard University research. What well, one of those? Well, you know, I mean, the history of the the TM research back then is the first study was done by. Um, uh, Keith, Keith Wallace, Wallace, who we both know and who has been on the show, Terrific and guy. you know he he did his doctoral research on the physiology mm-hmm. of transcendental meditation, and then he collaborated at the invitation of Herbert Benson at Harvard Medical School, and I was you know an early meditator uh, uh, living in the Boston area, and uh, they asked for volunteers at the. Uh, a Cambridge uh, TM center, and I volunteered. So and produced the, results, uh, and produced significant results. Uh, yeah, I meditated with a blood pressure cuff on in a cubicle in Harvard Medical School. The rest of <laughs> Who rest knew? Is history. You yeah. know, they didn't even pay us. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get a back check. You can collect on that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, That's so great. more on that, and uh, yeah, I, I I would enjoy having uh, Shenzhen back on because. Uh, yeah, he he. There's uh, he can go into it uh, with such such that depth and detail, and he really is a pioneer. And we've had many of the pioneers in. Uh, you mentioned Keith Wallace and many others. Yeah. In uh, well, you know, one of the things I appreciated about Shenzhen is um, many people uh, in the Buddhist world um, are part of you know one particular lineage. They're Zen teachers, or they're Vipassana teachers, or they're disciples of a Tibetan Buddhist um, uh, teacher. Um, and uh, he seems to have a broad base on you know the full range of of Buddhist practice. So I would encourage anybody who who is interested to listen carefully and re-listen to this interview because it, it was kind of in many ways buddhism 101 right. you know and and um i really i'm glad we had him on because um uh you know uh, buddhism we didn't cover that very much up until now we, we will do more so uh yeah. folks listening in uh, go to our website spiritmatterstalk.com where you probably are now listening to this unless you're at soundcloud or uh, iTunes or wherever else you might find us. And uh, uh, please uh, send in any suggestions, contact us, uh, things you like, don't like, uh, suggestions for guests. we got some great folks coming up. And uh, please tune in and uh, tell your friends about us. All righty. All right, till next time. Okay, Dennis.